And I forgot maybe our most important uh, announcement this, this morning, um, especially for our members. Uh, please uh, don't go anywhere right after the service. We do have a, a vote uh, to take. Uh, should be relatively quick vote, and uh, then you'll be out to your, your lunch wherever. Um, immediately following the worship service, we'll be in here. Uh, the postlude will play, and immediately after that postlude, we'll... Uh, do the, the business that we need to do. So don't all go running for the exits right afterwards, please. <clears throat> Say that depends on how the sermon goes and if you remembered how to preach or not. Um, it is good to be back with you. Um, really good time at, at annual conference, seeing people, um, a little bit different experience this year, but it was, it was good to be back in person with people, it's good to be back sitting at tables with people uh, rather than engaging on screens or, or whatever we've had to do in the last uh, two years. Uh, and then we did have a restful uh, vacation uh, for the most part down in, um, we were in Surfside, which is south of Myrtle Beach. Um, we did get to uh, make a pastoral visit while we were there to uh, Nanny Jan uh, Waybright, so it was good to see her and, and how she's doing. And um, she's doing well. She's doing well. It was, it was good to, to spend some, some time with her and catch up with her a little bit. So, Well, I do need to do a little bit of review because uh, you've had a, a number of great... Speakers here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm really grateful to to Cameron for you know even after he was doing his MCATs like the week before he spoke here, and so he still was able to put something together. Not just something, but uh, I think uh, a meaningful conversation about his own faith. And um, so I'm glad that he got to share that. And uh, Jim Wren was here, and then Belita Mitchell has been double doing double duty. She spoke uh, Thursday morning at annual conference, and then she was here to, to share with you all. Um, you experienced maybe some of the diversity of the kingdom of heaven, uh, and I, I heard from some of you it was maybe a little uh, faster paced than what you're used to from, from me. Um, I'm sure you weren't quite as lively as the congregation. Maybe she's used to, to speaking to most Sunday mornings, and... Um, you know, I, I love that our worship is going to be a, a, a varied experience in, in the kingdom of God. So for a little bit of review, when we last left Isaiah, we were looking at the suffering servant who stands in for the people who is rejected and who is killed. And we had kind of uh, looked at this uh, prophetic poem, which runs from Isaiah chapter 40 through Isaiah 55. That was all kind of one cohesive unit uh, that is structured as a, as a poem. And um, we ended that in our last time. Um, we looked at the suffering servant, like I said, and, but the suffering servant ends up bringing about restoration and reward for the servants of Yahweh. And then that grand uh, poem comes to a close after chapter 55. And so over the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at Isaiah 56 through 66, which is the prophet describing God's kingdom. Since the suffering servant has come, has stood in for the people, has borne the weight of their sin, and then we also talked about how that suffering servant's ministry and 
life don't come to a complete end there in Isaiah. There is something moving forward. Whether the, whether the prophet would have been able to name resurrection or not, I don't know. Um, but there is something that is happening as a result of this suffering servant coming. And the rest of Isaiah is, is kind of uh, giving vision to what is happening in the grand scheme uh, of God's design. Isaiah 56 through 66, through the end of the book, this is written as a chiasm. Can you say chiasm? All right. Maybe that's a new word to you. Um, That means there is a mirrored structure to the section that rises to a climax and then repeats themes in a reverse order. I have a picture, I think. Do we have a picture? No, no picture? All right. I'll find the picture. I'll get it to you. Um, But what happens is uh, there's this structure that builds, and it's mirrored on both sides. So we're going to be looking at the beginning of this section today and the end of this section today because they uh, are about the same themes. And then we're going to build on that, and the themes are going to match, and that's going to uh, have a a climatic moment, okay? And so we're going to be looking at that over the next couple of weeks. So we're looking at the beginning of this structure and the end this morning, Isaiah 56, 1 to 8, which Sister Jan read for us this morning, as well as Isaiah 66, 18 through 24, that's the very end of this section and of the book of Isaiah. As we look at that this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for these words and the vision that you gave to Isaiah. We thank you for the way that it continues to speak life and encouragement and hope into our world today. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, this section is describing the fulfillment or the restoration of the kingdom of God. And lots of this section are going to sound very New Testament-like, very Jesus-y, okay? Because there's a lot of these themes that are just amplified then when we get to the New Testament. And so we're going to start here in chapter 56, verse 1. We're going to be kind of working our way through this part. The prophet says, Thus says Yahweh, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. He's starting to describe this renewed, restored kingdom of God. And this theme of justice and righteousness or rightness is going to be repeated throughout the description of the kingdom of God. And so these are things that characterize God's kingdom. This is where everything is put to right, the way things were meant to be, God's plans, God's designs coming to full fruition. So it stands to reason that when everything is completely restored and put back to the way Yahweh intended, that justice and rightness will characterize the experience. So we may see glimpses uh, uh, or partial uh, expressions of justice, 
But our human justice, I think, always pales in comparison to the justice that the prophet envisions, where everything is absolutely the way God intends it to be which stands over and above any uh, facsimiles uh, or any um, fake versions we may come up of, of God's justice. He continues, Happy is the mortal who does this, maintains justice, the one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. The prophet's going to name Sabbath-keeping a number of times throughout these sections, and I want you to notice how keeping the Sabbath connects to justice. I often don't think of keeping Sabbath as a matter of justice. It's one of the Ten Commandments. We gather for worship. Worshiping God is important, but here it seems to be connected to rightness, to the way we treat one another. It's not keeping Sabbath to keep a religious obligation. The prophet's going to address that in our scripture next week. We'll look more at that, at the, uh, the way Sabbath was often kept for the sake of religious obligation. But here, Sabbath-keeping actually connects back to the Exodus story. Think back to what happens in Exodus. The people in Egypt were forced to work all week. They were valued by, by how much they did, how much did you accomplish, how many bricks did you produce. And so when God rescues them and brings them out, one of the commandments is one of these days you are going to rest, you are going to stop, you are just going to be, and you are going to remember that it is God who sustains the world. It is not you of your own effort. It is not you of your own work. You are going to take a day and you are going to do nothing. And not only are you going to do nothing, but those that work for you are going to do nothing. That one day, you're going to remember that I sustain you, that I keep you going. And so the, the prophet is highlighting how Sabbath-keeping, stopping, pausing, and releasing others to do connects back to justice. Here's, the, here's that picture, all right? We'll, we'll kind of highlight that. I know the words are kind of hard uh, to read. Uh, maybe I'll send that out in the weekly announcements. Uh, but it gives you a, a visual image of this structure, how we're repeated and build up there, okay? So Sabbath was a day to set people free from the need to work. And then we get into kind of the heart of this section. The primary theme of this section is looking at who is invited to join in God's kingdom. Justice connected to Sabbath theme will replay in the upcoming sections, but something is happening in Yahweh's grand restoration project. Finally, the vision that God had of Abraham's descendants blessing all nations is beginning to take shape. And the Messiah, the, the, um, the anointed one of Israel coming living, the suffering servant, dying in the place of the people, this isn't just good news for the Jewish people. This isn't just good news for the biological children of Abraham. It turns out 
that Jesus as Messiah is going to be good news for everyone. Because Isaiah the prophet is starting to see that everyone, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, are being invited to join in God's kingdom. Prophet says, Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So these passages about the foreigner and the eunuch, this is about everyone, all nations, tribes, and tongues being invited to join in God's covenant family. Foreigners or non-Israelites, those that uh, didn't have the right father, are being welcomed in. Joining in the family. Eunuchs are invited in and given, it says, given an everlasting name. In our world, we don't really, I, I don't really understand these passages unless you look and learn a little bit about who eunuchs were and how they would have been viewed. An everlasting name was tied to having children. Abraham, when he was Abram, had felt left out because he didn't have any children. His wife, ashamed because she couldn't have any children. Their name was not going to last. There was no everlasting life for them because there were no children to carry on their name. Which is why God invited Abraham out to count the stars and and bless them and how Abraham would have perceived this. Having children, having, having his name and his influence continued through the generations. And now eunuchs are being told that their name will live on and they won't be cut off. I'll let you go do your own research a little bit into eunuchs and how that all worked out, but you know, they were castrated men, Okay. And now they're being told you won't be cut off. Not to get too graphic, but being cut off kind of defined what it meant to be a eunuch. And yet this is God's healing, life-giving, eternal, life-worth-living coming into play. That those who have not been allowed to be in the temple... Those that didn't have access to the Holy of Holies. Those that couldn't come and offer their own sacrifices. Those that weren't whole, according to the law, are being welcomed in, are being given a name, are being cherished and loved. Verse 6 And the foreigners who join themselves to Yahweh to minister to Him, to love the name of Yahweh and to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it. Like I said, next week uh, we're looking at some folks who were profaning the Sabbath by not connecting it to justice. They were showing up to worship at the right time on the right day of the week. 
but it wasn't impacting the way they lived. We'll look at that more next week. And the foreigners who hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Somebody in the New Testament is going to quote that. Who is it? Jesus. When he enters the temple, he finds that the courts are not being used for the purpose that God intended them, that not all people are being welcomed into this place of worship, and Jesus isn't real happy about it. He's turning over tables. Again, foreigners, that is non-Jews, are being welcomed in. They're welcomed to the city of Yahweh. Their sacrifices and prayers are accepted at the temple. The vision is for all nations to be invited in and to have a place at the table with Yahweh. Verse 8 then says, Thus says Adonai Yahweh, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, those that had been exiled to Babylon. I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. So this is the the first part of this chiasm. Now we're going to jump to the end of this. Isaiah 66, verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn from uh, 56, uh, 10 chapters to, to chapter 66, verse 18. Again, this is drawing the book to a close, but echoing those themes. For I know their words and their thoughts, and I am coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. From them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Put, and Lud, which draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan. To the coastlands far away that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. Jesus is going to say, go into all the nations and make disciples of all nations. The prophet says, they shall bring all your kindred from all the nations, all those that have been scattered, as an offering to Yahweh on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries. I guess it's camels. In other words, the ancient versions of planes, trains, and automobiles. Everybody is going. Everybody is being welcomed in. Everyone is finding their invitation and coming to the kingdom of God. To my holy mountain Jerusalem, says Yahweh, just as the Israelites bring a grain offering and a clean vessel to the house of Yahweh. Now I want you to hear this in chapter 66, verse 21. Listen carefully. And I will also take some of them, some of the people that are being gathered, some of the the foreigners, some of these people that haven't been included and now are being included, And I will also take some of them as priests and Levites, says the Lord. Some of those gathered in serving as priests and Levites. This is no longer about which tribe are you from. This is no longer about who is your daddy. This is a picture of a multicultural, multi-ethnic invitation to the life 
worth living. I said a little bit about annual conference. We had some multicultural worship. And to me, it was just very meaningful because uh, you knew there were, there were folks around in the congregation who, uh, for, for whom English was not their primary language. And you heard a little bit about the way the, the, the Church of the Brethren is expanding around the globe. Even in the midst of the Church of the Brethren in the United States, Mourning loss and mourning division, and those are things that we should do. To hear how this church is, is also growing. How they're empowering people in other places in the world to uh, express their worship in ways that are meaningful to them. Mentioned the number of congregations that were coming in that were Latinx or, or Haitian. Um, the pastor's name from Lancaster was Leonora Ochoa. Uh, she gave the message in Spanish. Um, very passionate. I'll say the most passionate of the um, speakers at annual conference, which if you've ever been to annual conference, ever, ever worshiped there, you know, our speakers tend to be white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and, and, you know, present a message in a certain way. And uh, Leonora Ochoa did not present it in that way. Very dynamic. And what I appreciated even, uh, along with that was that the person that was translating, translating from the um, Alpha and Omega congregation, also down in Lancaster, was that the translation mirrored her passion and her energy. It was just, uh, it was really great to see their love for God, their love for the church coming out. The prophet then in uh, chapter 66, verse 22, who sounds a lot like John's revelation. I imagine John was steeped in, saturated uh, by Isaiah, the, the, the book of Isaiah. And hear these words, For as the new heavens and new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says Yahweh, so shall your descendants and your name remain. For new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says Yahweh. Everyone being invited in. Now, I will uh, confess, I think Isaiah ends in a rather odd note. In chapter 66, verse 24, a warning and a caution. He says, and they shall go out and look at the dead bodies of the people who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. We're going to talk a little bit, because I, Isaiah gets into it, uh, a little bit about um, the faithful servants of God and those that continue to live in rebellion to God. 
And what we see, what Isaiah is, is sounding one last warning note of, is that all are invited in, and yet not all choose to enter into the new thing that Yahweh is doing. Their rebellion, their violence, their injustice takes its full effect. We'll be looking a little bit more at the, those themes in the coming weeks. What the prophet begins to highlight <clears throat> at the beginning of this section and closes with at the end of this section, the prophet is giving a vision of the renewed and restored city of God. Because of God's suffering servant, a new thing, new heavens and new earth are being made possible. The project of restoring the cosmos and all humanity is starting to be seen. Not only is this good news for biological Israel, but this is good news for all nations and all tongues and all people. This is good news no matter where you come from, no matter who your parents are or aren't, no matter how you have felt cut off from those around you. There's all kinds of ways that we can each feel disconnected and cut off from those around us. The invitation to God's new creation is made to all a place of justice and everything made rightness. A place of rest and allowing others to rest where slavery to person and slavery to job and slavery to addiction and slavery to all kinds of other things were set free from. It's an invitation to open to each of us I also hear these words as a challenge to the church. This is the kind of kingdom, this is the vision that the prophet Isaiah talks about, that, that John is going to talk about. This is uh, the, the vision that Jesus is, is starting to give glimpses of in his parables and his stories. This is the kingdom to which all are invited to participate and the kingdom to which the church is supposed to point. Sometimes we spend a lot of time pointing to other kingdoms that really don't connect to the kingdom of God. The church is meant to be a people who are little colonies or little demonstration plots of the kingdom of God those, those traits that characterize the kingdom of God should be found at least in, in partial imperfect form here and now. They should characterize the church. Justice, right relationships. When we need confession, repentance, forgiveness, sitting at the table and listening to one another, these are things that should characterize the church. Setting people free, both on the Sabbath, in our ministry to and with one another, these, this is what it means to keep the Sabbath. We need to gather and worship 
We need to proclaim the name of God. We need to gather to remind one another of the good news. We need to gather uh, to, to learn and to grow and, and, and all of that. And so there's, there's great purpose in us meeting here every Sunday. But it's not just about showing up at a certain time at a certain place. That's not what the prophet's talking about when he's talking about keeping the Sabbath. It's about coming and meeting and worshiping and growing and, 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 and connecting with one another and challenging one another and having it impact our lives so that we go from this place to set people free. So that we go from this place to demonstrate a right way of living in connection with Jesus. This is how we go from this place and continue to keep the Sabbath beyond a certain hour on a certain day at a certain place. We're going to close our time this morning by singing a, an, an old hymn, We're Marching to Zion. And this is, um, uh, to me, this is a, a, a hymn about us beginning to come in to this place, beginning to come in to the city of God. Zion is shorthand for Jerusalem, okay? This is about everybody being welcomed and invited in to the kingdom. And so as we uh, begin to close our worship, would you stand and turn in your brown hymnal to number 416. We're marching to Zion.